Hello from Temple Bar in Dublin.
welcome to season two of our Tradfest podcast, brought to you by the Temple Bar Company and Falcha Ireland. That opening track was Bunch of Green Rushes and Salt Creek by the inimitable Wee Banjo 3. Now, over the past few months, we've been speaking to music festivals and artistic directors, musicians and artists from across the globe about their experiences during the COVID-19 pandemic today. We're absolutely thrilled to be speaking to banjo and mandolin ace player and member of We Banjo 3 and founder of We Banjo 3. It's Enda Skahel. Enda, great to talk to you. You too, Kieran, and nice to hear you again. Uh, well, the last time we met actually was in Dublin when you were doing a performance, a rare performance, I would say. You don't perform that much in Ireland with We Banjo 3. No, we do about uh, one tour a year, which largely consists of a gig in Galway, a gig in Dublin and a gig somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But uh, there's a reason for that, of course, and that is your popularity with the band Abroad. And I want to talk to you about that, uh, about the work that you've done in the States and how you've opened up a huge market there, not just for yourselves, but I think for an awful lot of other touring bands that have followed uh, in the wake of We Banjo 3. But just to, maybe a little bit about yourself. People will know you as banjo player and mandolin player with We Banjo 3. I mentioned founder uh, of We Banjo 3, but you had a past as well in a, a different type of music let's say because you actually qualified for uh, St Finian's College in Ireland you got a scholarship there and you studied classical music on piano violin and pipe organ of all things uh, yet you wound up with the banjo can you explain <laughs> that particular uh, journey if we can put it like that well the banjo came first to be clear the tin whistle came first in <laughs> okay. in in Corifin, right when we were five years old everybody that started in school got the tin whistle and then the banjo when I was eight. And then my older brother won a scholarship to St. Finian's College. And uh, a couple of years later, then I applied and I got a scholarship. So I was a sort of a reluctant classical musician. And I think it's part of being a banjo player, Kieran, is that rebellious nature. I didn't really like the fact that the fellow that composed the classical music was telling me how I should play it by writing it in Latin above it or in Italian and uh, you know I wanted to play it my own way so I always had a kind of a difficulty with the rules and uh, I I've, one time we used to compete in the Fesh Kjol and so we'd have a big day out in Dublin and uh, I was playing on the pipe organ and we went to uh, Christchurch Cathedral and the pipe organ uh, loft is way up at the side of a pillar so I went up and I locked the door and then I belted into, you know, that da -da -na, na -na 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 -na. <laughs> and uh, my teacher was very cross and wouldn't let me compete in the competition then. <laughs> well, these are the rules, folks. So if you're in a town and you're on tour with the band and you kind of drift into a cathedral somewhere, are you tempted to kind of get your hands on the organ? Do you still do any playing on it? No, I did it for four years. I, To be honest, I loved it because... There's such huge sound available. I wasn't particularly fond of the more gentler pieces. I mean, I wanted to, as they say, pull out all the stops, literally, and, you know, play all of the notes on pedals and, and uh, on, on the keyboard at the same time and just and really enjoy the big, big sound of it. But, um, you know, I did it for four years and then not having access to one since. I haven't actually played one in a long, long time. So you didn't put one in the home or anything back in Galway? No. <laughs> My wife would love that. I have enough banjos. <laughs> but speaking about your background, anyway, would you just fill us in? You said your brother got a, a, a scholarship just before you. Many's in the family. 
four in the family. So Adrian is my older brother, and he still plays pipe organ for the one of one or two of the um, the choirs in Dublin. And he lectures in Irish music in Maynooth University. And then then there's me, and then Maeve is next, and she's a, a qualified music therapist. And then bringing up the rear is Fergal, who plays everything and plays it better than anybody else. I I couldn't agree with you more, actually. He's one of those uh, gifted musicians. All right. That's the four of you. So uh, listening to the, every one of you having a musical connection. So your parents were obviously, that was what they were into. They, they were anxious that you would have at least an interest in music. Yeah, my dad was really, really focused on Irish music and uh, was very anti uh, like 2FM and things like that you know? so we weren't allowed to listen to 2FM and I desperately wanted an electric guitar in my teens and it was like absolutely no way you know and uh, you know we did the kind of middle class 1980s Ireland thing of going for piano lessons and you know and that led on but he had a huge interest in Irish music he set up the Coltus branch in Corrafin which you know 20 years later was one of the biggest branches in the country and highly highly successful and you know generated lots of very very good musicians and um you know he he was one of the big big drivers of that he organized one of the first musical instrument banks in ireland he went to frank fahey i think it was a fianna fall man at the time and got money to buy instruments and then you know kids that were learning in the village could uh, could rent it for you know buttons for the year so that they could learn banjo or fiddle or accordion or whatever so yeah, he he did an enormous amount for Irish music in uh, in Galway. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? Uh, what committed parents really did uh, at that time for traditional music, because Corafin, we've been down there ourselves, uh, recording programs. Let's say in the last uh, five or six years, and there's an enormous amount of young people still playing, and just seems to be uh, growing. Uh, every time we go back there, it seems as if there are more people playing traditional music in that area. Yeah, yeah, and it takes. It usually takes one or two very committed people to drive something like that on and you know when they pass away or they retire or whatever it, it can fall away quite easily you know if you don't have those one or two drivers uh, and i think that's true of sport or certainly for music all over the country and he was one of those he drove it and loved it now the four members of the <coughs> scaffold family then went for different instruments you went for the banjo what was the attraction? Oh, I, I, I loved it from the very beginning. Now, my memory of it is that I was eight years old and there's an incredible musician from Ballandine in County Mayo called Bernie Garrity. And Bernie was teaching music uh, in our school, so she would come in and, and do music lessons. And funnily enough, my mum was looking after her first baby. My mum was on maternity leave from the school, if this isn't too complex, mm-hmm. and would look after Bernie's baby <laughs> and Bernie would come in and teach. And... I just remember her coming into the class one day and I, I would have been playing tin whistle at this stage. And she said, who wants to play the banjo? And I my hand shot up. And uh, I went home that evening and there was a banjo in the house with a little diagram of where the notes were and a kind of instructions on how to get going. And uh, so I went to Bernie for lessons for years. She was a great, great teacher. She certainly was. Mm. And that, that was it. I was just drawn to it. I loved the sound of it, Kieran. I loved... You know, and years later, look back on it. There's there's a rebellious nature that's in the in the instrument. It's just part of the energy that's wound up in it, and I was attracted to that always. Yeah, because of course it has its its own detractors as an instrument. Some of it's sort of humorous and all of that kind of stuff. But the banjo in Irish traditional music, going back that time and even before, let's say to my time, uh, it wasn't exactly the most welcome into a session. At least 
A second one wouldn't certainly be that welcome into a session if people saw you coming. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think that's changed very much, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but there are some amazing players now. You see, I think, you know, when you're talking about the 70s and the 80s, and, like, there weren't that many great players. I mean, there was you, and there was Jerry O'Connor. And, you know, when, when I came along and, you know, after my generation, if you like, now there's hundreds mm. of exceptionally good players like at a very technical uh, level because the banjo is not I don't think it's an easy instrument to play it's it's very inefficient um, and for especially for younger kids like it's big and it's awkward and there's a lot of physicality that's required to play it and I think just over the years the proliferation of good teachers around the country has meant that there's now a lot of great players but certainly when I was going out to sessions as a, as a teenager there was a lot of fairly heavy-handed banjo players and <laughs> You know, I think that's changing. I I hope so. I suppose you could couple with that maybe uh, the the coming of good instruments as well. Instruments becoming available, better instruments. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and instruments being made in Ireland. I mean, yeah. obviously, you have Dave Boyle who passed away. Uh, was that this year? Yeah, there was sadly um, actually. Yeah. You know, Dave and and Tom Cusson, like they they worked together. That's probably not as well known as. Um, uh, uh, you know, people mightn't realize that as much that like they really collaborated on both the clarine and the Dave Boyle banjos and made pieces for each other all the way through uh, both their careers. You know, yeah, they um, were they, they were they really had a huge influence on the instrument itself, and I think that's can that did contribute to the improvement of standard all around because it, it suddenly you had an instrument that was actually playable. There was a bit more in it than the old style, let's say. No, some brilliant old banjos there, but we didn't have them in the country at the time. Yeah, and if the, you know, if the vintage banjo isn't set up properly, it can be really hard going with tuning and intonation and all of that. So even just having the likes of Tom and Dave that you could bring an older banjo to them and say, look at, this is I know this is a nice instrument, but it's really wonky. And uh, you know, as Tom would say, he'd have the ability to push a, sh- a little shim in the neck. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, that was that's it. That is Tom. I said that was that is Tom for sure. No, that they've made a fantastic contribution to the instrument in traditional music. I was just interested to hear you speaking about, let's say, young people and about the instrument being complicated and challenging, and that. And you've actually looked into that and how people should sort of hold themselves how they should breathe all of that those areas uh, when mm. teaching the music and teaching the instrument you see it was uh, funny enough it was the late pat costello who explained it to me he said most people know how uh, to play the fiddle that there's you know there's a there's a method for playing violin which came from classical music to a lesser extent the accordion uh, definitely something like the flute and so when when those instruments came into folk music, there was almost like a correct way to play them. And, you know, even somebody that's not that interested in music would almost know how to hold a fiddle the right way. Um, but because banjo came into Irish music in a completely different way. So there was no classical idiom and there was no um, tradition of virtuosity, if you like. It came from the ground up rather than from the top down. So it was never established a, a kind of a clear method for how to play Irish tenor banjo and I'd been playing and I'd been teaching for years and, and to be honest I hadn't given it a whole lot of thought until I went to Alsace in France for a week with Tom Cusson uh, and I was teaching banjo and when I got there uh, I was doing four hours a day with just one man and he was German 
and he was incredibly fastidious and so he would stop me every five seconds and go why did you why did you do a downstroke on that note and i was like i have no idea but i'm going to figure it out by the end of the week i had kind of analyzed my own playing to such an extent through this intense questioning uh, that I had a method for playing when I came home. That coupled with uh, Paul Brock, who I had uh, done an album with and, and been in a band with, uh, he did a master's in the University of Limerick and he he did it on me. So I essentially wrote his thesis for him. Um, and a part of that was an analysis of what I was doing on a technical level. So but the, those two experiences meant that I had looked at what I was doing, wrote it down as a method and... When I taught it to other people, particularly if I taught it from scratch to somebody, then they just seem to not develop any bad habits. Or if, if somebody that came along and was really struggling with, uh, you know, with rhythm or with missing notes or missing triplets or whatever it was. And if they went and worked really hard at correcting what they were doing to this method, an awful lot of the problems cleared up and they cleared up very quickly. So out of that, I kind of went, well, this is a method that works. And now I've taught it a bunch of times and it has worked every time it's been applied. So I think that's as good a uh, a, a basis for a pedagogical um, breath method as anything else, isn't it? Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, th there's a challenge even in, in uh, within that uh, if you have somebody who's already playing and they have certain habits, but you, you actually have to get them to unlearn what they've done. And that, that, has, to, that has to be challenging for both them and you as a teacher. It's it's a huge deal because you're talking about breaking down muscle memory and for, for certain people that can be there for quite a long time. Um, now, I do believe that, you know, like any habit, you can do it in kind of six or seven weeks if you apply yourself to it. The interesting thing I would find is that if you're somebody that's playing for 15 years and they're picking pattern, for instance, is irregular. So and, and this is causing huge problems uh, in their rhythm and in, and in their playing and you teach them a structured picking pattern, it's really important that they don't play any of the tunes that they already know for a period of time because they have established that in this irregular or incorrect picking pattern for want of a better way of explaining it. Uh, so if they go and they do all of this practice and they learn the correct method and then they go back to playing the tunes that they already know, the two things clash with each other and it makes the process of change much more difficult. So the musicians that I have come across that have said, right, I really want to change. And they go, I say, well, you're going to have to give it six or seven weeks when you don't go to any sessions and you just practice and you learn new tunes. And what happens is after that period of time, when it's really well established, they go and they play their old tunes and they can feel the clash between muscle memory and new muscle memory. And then they're able to make the transition and apply the new picking technique to the old tunes. And for the few people that have done it, it's quite an interesting observation to see it happening and to, to kind of watch it happening in real time because you can see huge improvements are being made. Uh, and But the struggle is real, as you say, but there are people that have committed to it and have made enormous uh, strides. We're going to move on because I, I, you're here to talk about Follow the Light, which is running on Saturday, the 29th of August. And we'll get to that. But I want a little background. Do I understand it? Was it in 2011 that you formed We Banjo 3? It's actually 2009 was the first time we did a gig at uh, Galway Arts Festival. And the band came about because 
I had developed an interest in American uh, old time and bluegrass music. It was kind of an involved story, but I, I because I had been getting terrible headaches uh, when I was playing music, uh, somebody pointed out to me that I uh, wasn't breathing. It was a sort of uh, a form of banjo apnea. And uh, <laughs> so I, I had to go away and do yoga classes and learn how to breathe, which sounds a bit mad. But then I had to learn how to breathe and play the instrument at the same time. And I couldn't do it with Irish music because there was too much uh, thinking involved, because I had too much emotional attachment to Irish music. So I had to find something that would allow me to play the banjo and just focus on my breathing. And the rhythms of old time and bluegrass music are quite repetitive and they're quite uh, meditative, I guess. And so I would just sit in my room and I would play over and over and over again and just focus on uh, belly breathing and breathing in and out and a very relaxing experience actually and at the time david and martin used to come to me for banjo lessons it was more they'd come and we just play tunes as opposed to me teaching them anything technical and at one point the three of us sat down in the kitchen of my house in galway and we just started playing these old-timey rhythms on three banjos and we lit up just and i remember smiling and going oh my god this is just such a gorgeous experience and we decided to start a band after that and we called it we banjo three because there was three of us and three banjos and we had no notion that it would ever become a professional outfit at all we were literally just doing it for the crack uh we got a gig at galway arts festival in 2009 and uh, sold it out there was 40 or 50 people turned away from the Roisin Dov. It was just a marvellous experience. There's so much joy and excitement in the music. Uh, we then won the Music Network uh, Young Music White Award um, in 2011. Uh, Martin entered us, for that, entered us into that without uh, telling us. And then we ended up going up to Dublin and doing the audition and then we won it. And as part of that, we had to record an album. And that's, I guess... The reason that you know it, it became an outfit uh, that had a bit of structure to it uh fergal played fiddle and guitar on the album when we recorded it and in 2012 uh, i had met ed ward the late ed ward from uh, irish uh, milwaukee irish festival and i kind of doorstepped him and i said ed i have a new band and there's three banjos in it but don't freak out we will blow you off the stage and ed gave us a slot at the Milwaukee Irish Festival in 2012 and of course I panicked because I knew that you know there was three of us with three banjos and David started to sing and play the guitar and we kind of felt we were not going to have a big enough sound for a big festival and I knew how big Milwaukee was so we begged Fergal to come with us for the weekend he absolutely did not want to be in the band he didn't really want to go to milwaukee because he would have lost out on a weekend of gigs in clifton where he was very busy in the middle of the tourist season but uh, we insisted that he come and it blew up uh, we were the runaway hit at the festival our last gig on the sunday was in the small tent called the the village pub tent they call it it fits about 300 people uh, uncomfortably and there was about 3,000 people outside of trying to get in and halfway down the street. And, you know, a huge uh, thunderstorm came through. Uh, just one of those magical moments. And we had to pull everybody into the tent. And, like, they were all sitting on the stage and sitting on the speakers. And Fergal was jumping around, dancing from table to table out through the tent. And, you know, people that weren't there remember being there, if you forget me. It was kind of one of those. And... You know, six years ago, we all gave up our day jobs and 
college careers and everything else and uh, and went at it full time and it's just one of those experiences Karen, because it was never supposed to be a full-time career it was supposed to be fun and it's still fun and 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 it just morphed into this huge huge career that we we couldn't have anticipated you know and we've been we were running to catch up for the first five or six years but um and we you know it it's just gone from strength to strength like we played to half a million people last year live and you know <laughs> you know what they say when you make plans god laughs and uh, sent a pandemic so here we are and uh, <laughs> let's see where that goes <laughs> so i've got to take it on a little then so how would you describe the music of we banjo three yeah it's kind of it's crossover music essentially we took the joy and the fun of bluegrass music and the rhythms of bluegrass music and we mixed it with Irish music and they, you know they're they're related cousins um, and by blending the two what we felt that we did is we took the best of Irish music which is highly energetic and highly entertaining mixed it with bluegrass which is also highly energetic and highly entertaining and then we put it across in a way where we focused on the entertainment factor rather than the heavy traditional factor if that makes sense and so by doing that we made both musics very accessible to people who would not necessarily be aficionados of a strict tradition because if you go to a bluegrass festival there will be what they call chair snappers and these are people that if you don't play strictly traditional bluegrass will snap their lawn chairs and walk off um and there's similar people i guess in the irish <laughs> traditional world um and what we did is we, we we just drew in other people that were interested they just liked music they liked live music and so you know i mean for me it was a big uh, it was a big learning curve for the younger lads they were well used to entertaining they were well used to jumping around on stage because they had done dance shows and all of that kind of lark like fergal had toured the world with ragus and with a bunch of different bands and you know he was a real entertainer he was a real showman whereas <clears throat> i was used to sitting down closing my eyes and opening my eyes 45 minutes later at the end of the first half do you know i did that and it was uh, you know i was trying to emulate you with your you know with your red headband <laughs> <laughs> not fall over and you know <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're moving swiftly on <laughs> mind you it doesn't do you any harm when you have a, a young man with a voice like david's so this is it and you know going back to the kitchen of my house and it, it sounds kind of funny i had no idea he sang he was 16 or 17 at the time and he was a really quiet like really shy teenager and i think he was kind of half terrified of me because I, I was like his teacher at one stage you know and martin said to me you know dave sings and i was looking at him going this little skinny teenager i was like really and he i go go on sing something and just his voice hmm. and i remember turning around to my wife jokingly said that guy's going to make me a millionaire. <laughs> we haven't quite got there yet. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you that question, actually. But yeah, no, he has got a stunning voice. No, that, that whole combination, I really enjoyed seeing you. I hadn't seen you for so long. And when I saw you in Whelan's last year, it just, it just it's, it's all of that. It's the entertainment. It's everything about what you do. It's the fun. It's the joy that's in the music. And you see, you can do all that when you have the standard of musicianship that you have in that band. And by the way, I just want to ask you here, uh, Hollywood actor Steve Martin, he's a fan of We Banjo 3. How did that come about? Or have you met him? We haven't met him. We, we played the same festival uh, we were on two different stages at the same time. We played Merlefest uh, two years ago. We were on, he was on main stage and we were on one of the other, the, the hillside stage. So we didn't get to meet him, unfortunately. 
He's um, a big fan of. Well, he was on Miriam O'Callaghan and I, myself and uh, my wife and son were in the car. We were driving down to the flaggy shore and we were listening to Miriam O'Callaghan and he was chatting about some upcoming gigs, uh, comedy gigs that he had in Ireland. And she was asking about the banjo. And next thing he goes, and yeah, and you got, you guys got a, an Irish band called We Banjo 3 and they're making huge waves over here in the States. Nice. Sure, my wife nearly grabbed the steering wheel. She was so excited. <laughs> well, no, it's nice to be acknowledged in that way. And as I mentioned at the very start here, actually, you have made waves over there and you have opened up, I think anyway, you've opened up a whole area uh, for the business of Irish performers, certainly in traditional music and crossover music over there. But those opportunities weren't there before you did. So you've worked hard at that over the years. We have. And I mean, look at the, the tracks were laid in the grass for us by, you know, the Altons and the Lunases and Dervish and, you know, first and foremost by the Chieftains that created a market for all of the bands that have come behind them over the years, you know. And I, I looking back on it, I think we came in at a time when maybe the Irish festival scene was was flat. I don't really know. Um, and we came in and did something. It was certainly ready for a band that was doing something very different. And as, and as you rightly said, then there's a flood of really great, talented young bands. A lot of them feature in banjo. And you think of the likes of Kuig and Gwicha that uh, and they've, you know, they've had great success in the mm. US. The US was ready for, uh, you know, a, a new generation of Irish bands. That there was, were, I think, in that you might have mentioned Stockton Zwing as well in that historic uh, reference. Without a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> but you be, were kind of more like Hellraisers. People are like, don't be like Stockton's Wing when you come over now. They're well, mad. God be with the days. I can tell you, of Milwaukee for sure. Um, well, I'd say, I, re- I remember the first, g- the first gig I did with Stockton's Wing was down in Ennis for that, that, that the big comeback gig. It's one of the most, I've, I didn't sleep for two nights afterwards. I was so nervous. And I met Kevin Crawford. He was at the gig and he goes, you had big shoes to fill there, boy. <laughs> <laughs> the man, Kevin, you. <laughs> no, I want to ask you, we, we, we're going to ask you about Follow the Light because it's you mentioned there that you played to uh, a half a million people last year live uh, across the United States and other places and plans, I presume, to play to nearly a million people this year. It all came a cropper. But it's, there's one thing about We Banjo 3 and yourself. You're innovative. And you're innovating now because you've come up with Follow the Light. Will you just tell us a little about that and how you decided to pull it together? Yeah, I mean, we were like so many bands on tour. Now, we were lucky we had got out early in the year. So we were coming to the end of our our spring tour. Um, And, you know, we came home in a whammy, you know, and 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 then came home facing into we didn't we didn't know what we had no idea so you know very quickly we got together and decided that we would live stream uh four times a week so each of us took an hour uh every week and we played music and we told stories and was reading poetry and, and the idea was just to stay engaged with our fan base i mean at that stage we thought we'd be back out in june because there were the kind of the early murmurings and, uh, you know, that kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And uh, so many bands are were online and there's, there's been incredible innovation right across the board from people doing all sorts of things. And we just decided, well, it kind of came about, funnily enough, I had the idea that it would be great fun if I got all of the directors of the Irish festivals in the U.S., on a zoom call and did a kind of a monty python-esque uh, game show 
And I was going to do it live as part of a Facebook live. And when we were chatting about it, we said, well, why don't we develop this out entirely and make it into a festival? Um, and so what we've come up with is a two hour virtual festival, which is essentially what the description. And um, so we picked bands from Ireland and Canada and the US that you know, they cover a broad spectrum of musical interest, people that have a good online following so that there's a lot of interest in, in the festival, and a lot of interest in the music. So our headliners are Gaelic Storm, who are the, you know, they're the biggest uh, US band. <clears throat> Sharon Shannon, who's been a huge supporter of We Banjo 3 and, you know, she's just such a household name. Uh, Nathan Carter, because we've played with Nathan a bunch of times and you know but he's actually a really really great singer great entertainer and a very very good musician um so he's doing some solos solo stuff with us and there's a band from canada called the east pointers who uh, we love they're really folky and there's there's a great banjo player in their band as well so uh we have those five bands and then there's you know there's a bunch of stuff happening the game show uh, is going to happen with all the irish festival directors there's um whiskey tasting and I don't know how you taste whiskey virtually but uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's might be the same another wee banjo three innovation there I'll tell you yeah. Yeah. so it's you know what it's it's a ton of work like we, we we had a management meeting about it today and there's so many different threads that are being pulled together at the moment and uh, but it's exciting and as you said you know we're constantly trying to innovate we're constantly trying to find new ways to rise above the noise because there's so much online at the moment and it's really about continuing to have that engagement with fans and with the audience try and draw in, in new people to the music as well so that you know inevitably this pandemic is going to end in one fashion or another and there will be live music again I've no doubt about that and you know hopefully we'll be in a position where we can get back out on the road and and uh, people will be so thrilled to go to a concert and speaking of kind of audience expansion and that have you found that are more people or are, are people kind of coming across you now online that you may not have met on the road yeah definitely the live streams have drawn in people there's no doubt about that especially if you're playing uh if you're playing live music i think as people are scrolling by on facebook they'll see a live video from this and a live video from that and uh, when they see live music being played, they tend to hang in there. So like all our social numbers have increased uh, fairly steadily over the few months. This festival, which is called Follow the Light, has already brought in a bunch of uh, a bunch of new fans because, you know, the bands that are playing at it are from a good a good cross section of the wider Irish music spectrum. Um, it's so far it's selling really really well there's a lot of interest in it a lot of great feedback so i mean we're, we're excited for it it's something very new and different we're nervous and terrified and excited at the same time it certainly is it's a fantastic lineup gaelic storm sharon shannon nathan carter of the east pointers and yourselves just some details maybe and uh, uh how can people if they want to get on to follow the light there's times what time of the day is it on how can people access it where can they get tickets can they buy tickets for other people this sort of stuff can you go through some of that for me sure if they go to we banjo three that's the number three dot com that'll bring you straight to the ticket link and straight to the festival information you can buy tickets for yourself there's uh premium bundles where we have an exclusive uh, festival t-shirt men and women's uh there's posters there's a whole 
bunch of uh, different offers and uh, it's on uh, August 29th it's a Saturday so it's on 5 p.m eastern time which is 10 p.m Irish time so I should be able to stay up for the end of it I'd say <laughs> so 10 p.m Irish time okay let's get that yeah. so 5 p.m eastern time they can get on the we Banjo 3 website I mentioned there about tickets can like if I, you know, if I if, if I if I can't stay up that late now at this stage, but I want to get a <laughs> ticket for somebody else to do that, is that possible? Is that doable? Of course it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can just you once you buy the ticket, you'll get a it's a an access code, and uh, then on the day you just log in using that, and uh, yeah, there's it's a two hour show, and there's meet and greets um, afterwards as well, so you can have a private uh, Zoom chat with one of the band. I believe Dave is selling out very fast. Surprise, surprise! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the dulcet tones, though. You There's know. a couple of couple of weirdos who bought one for me. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't take it to notice that I did that. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> By the way, apart from, and this has been a big undertaking, and I've said about Weed Banjo Three that you've been so innovative. But for you, on a personal level, how have you been dealing with this lockdown? Ooh, it's up and down, Kieran. You know. Mm. Um, Initially, you know, it was a sort of a state of shock. And I think that was true for everybody. We, you know, on tour, mad panic, like drive to the airport and beg Aer Lingus to put you on a flight, you know. And coming home to, you know, two weeks quarantine and then Ireland went into serious lockdown. Um, personally, for me, like I, I enjoy the live streams while I'm actually doing them. But for, and I, I think this is true for a lot of creative people. Uh, the you know social media can be a difficult place because of the vagaries of view counts and likes and comments and you know the comparison between other bands and that kind of stuff so I, I find a lot of that stuff quite difficult to divorce myself from something that I did and kind of going god that didn't perform as well as it did last week or it didn't perform as well as I'd hoped or you know mm-hmm. and so that has brought a lot of mental pressure that uh, certainly I wouldn't have had to deal with up to now because, you know, when you're on tour, you get to play a lot, which in itself is a massive release of energy and it's a kind of very synergistic, synergistic experience. So, you know, even if you're tired, you come off stage and you feel great. Mm. And I, I would have always found a lot of balance with that because uh, traditionally when I'd be at home for two months or three months or three weeks or whatever, a lot of the background work is done at that stage. So that's when you're doing all your emailing and, you know, setting up and everything. And you, I would have always achieved a sort of a balance by going on tour and having that outpouring of energy and not being able to do that except into an empty room in front of a screen is not the same. And then you're kind of just prone to the pressure of, is it good enough? Uh, did enough people watch it? You know, I've and I found that that has been a real struggle to to get to grips with that and to be okay with that yeah, and, and ongoing yeah yeah you meant you mentioned there about mental stress and mental pressure actually but the band we banjo three have been active in raising money and awareness uh, of mental health among the music industry professionals and their families how did you get involved in that side you know it started as a conversation piece just in the band like we're, we're very close being two sets of brothers uh we're i assume we're different to a lot of bands where you know, we talk about an awful lot of stuff, uh, which is good and bad, mostly good because there's a great support mechanism because, uh, you know, being on the road has its difficulties as well. It can be lonely and it can be tough. 
and uh, Dave has been very open about his own struggles with anxiety and with depression um, and, you know and we've been there and walked the path with him for quite a number of years and uh, basically a couple of years ago we didn't have a new album and we needed to theme a tour just to give it a reason to exist and as we were chatting about different uh, ideas um, Ferdel who used to live in Clifton mentioned that you know if you're in Clifton in summertime it never really gets dark it's kind of there's a little bit of light the entire time you're way out in the west and that morphed quite quickly into the idea that you know in the darkest of times for people that they hang on because there's always a little bit of light and we uh, had um, this will probably sound quite familiar to you Kieran we did a tour called light in the western sky <laughs> yes 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 um, <laughs> it's all coming back to me now <laughs> so but the theme behind it was you know if you're struggling if you're having a really hard time just hold on because there's a there's always a bit of a light in the sky and as part of that dave started just chatting on stage about how he struggled himself with mental health not really anticipating how much people are going to resonate with that and you know people are struggling out there a lot and you know it's there's an awful lot being more said about it now i mean brezzy has done incredible things in ireland just to open up the conversation around mental health and say hello i am struggling i have struggled i'm doing okay and i've come through it and you know there's lots and lots of help out there and i think it's so important and it's great that somebody like brezzy who's like this big strong you know sportsman and rock star to be able to come out and share that kind of vulnerability um gives a lot of access for younger men and teenagers to to be aware that they don't have to hold on to stuff and that they can go and get help and that's largely been the focus of what we've done over the last couple of years is just to say it out to say look at if you're struggling that's okay we we're struggling too but we're doing okay and there is help out there and uh, you know this year we were supporting a charity called backline and pretty amazing charity they give free mental health services to musicians musicians families um uh, anyone that's involved in the music industry you know and like we played a festival last year uh gray fox one of the bands i i can't remember the musician's name but a very very well-known mandolin player you know with a young family and uh he plays in one of the big big american bluegrass bands and he you know he killed himself last last year and it really shook an awful lot of people mm-hmm because you know a musician of that stature and you kind of go wow he's really successful and you know in these huge huge bands and like it's just so important we felt it was so important to just keep on talking about it you know i think it's fantastic and then when you have a young person like david talking about it will have its its positive uh, effects uh, you mentioned last year that the charity was backline is it back yeah it's a u.s based charity okay. backline before that we've done some work with pieta house and last year we mental health america um because they have like local chapters in literally every town in the u.s sadly sadly greatly underfunded you know uh, i mentioned follow the light will be on saturday the 29th of august before we wind up our chat we've been asking people here on the old podcast and uh uh, what music have you been listening to other music during lockdown or what gives you that sort of peace of mind just to sit down and listen to a piece of music mm. what i've uh listened to a load of martin hayes actually um and particularly the one with is it brooklyn rider that uh, most recent album we yes. did just yeah. exquisite um absolutely loving that um i put on uh folk alley a lot because uh they have a very good blend of uh, 
just uh, the whole range of different folk musics. And when I want to break from everything, I put on Jazz 24 because I couldn't care less about jazz music, and but it's nice and relaxing in the background, and I don't have to be critiquing it. <laughs> and my son comes in and he goes, what, are we Are we at a wedding? <laughs> That's very interesting, actually, yeah. That idea that you don't have to be critiquing it, yeah. Yeah. It's been fantastic chatting to you, and I meant to ask you too, actually, about Ricky Skaggs because you've performed with him and did a bit of recording with him. So I'm going to ask you that before you go. Actually, what was that like? Amazing. Yeah. Uh, that was with uh, Paul Brock and Manus McGuire, and that's about ten years ago. Mm-hmm. We recorded an album in Nashville, and it was Ricky Skaggs, Brian Sutton, who has won IBMA Guitarist of the Year a bunch of times, Aubrey Haney, who's probably the number one. F- a fiddle session musician in Nashville. He's on everything from Ricky Skaggs to Beyonce. Uh, Mark Fain, who was the double bass player with the Ricky Skaggs band, and uh, Jeff Taylor, accordion multi instrumentalist. It was an ama- amazing experience. Um, Ricky's a very humble guy, you know, very religious, but uh, very, very easygoing, uh, fascinated with Irish music. What I was really interested with, like, because, you know, on a technical basis, he's you know he's not as technically gifted as the likes of Chris Thiele who plays with Punch Brothers is just a you know a prodigy but like a lot of uh, older Irish musicians there's a taste factor yeah. that he has from playing for he'll just do the smallest little thing like just a couple of little notes or he'll hit a tiny harmonic at just the right point in the tune and you're like wow you know it's one note and it just set that entire track alight and I think that's the magic of a musician that has so much experience. Um, lovely, lovely, lovely guy to, 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 to work with. Nice to be traveling in that sort of company. In the scale of We Banjo 3, finally I'm going to say Follow the Light is on Saturday, the 29th of August. Get on the We Banjo 3 uh, website if you want to get tickets for it. It starts at 5 p.m. Eastern. Uh, 10 p.m. here in Ireland if you're so uh, if you're so inclined let's say you should be you should still be up at that stage and I'm sure 10 o'clock on a Saturday night or you'd be just after listening to Kayleigh House exactly well I've, I'll have had a nap <laughs> in the middle of the day as well <laughs> okay look it's been a pleasure talking to you thanks a million for joining us here on the podcast thanks so much Kieran. a pleasure thank you for listening to this week's podcast we look forward to when we're all together again in music at next year's Tradfest, provisionally set for the 27th to the 31st of January 2021. And while we're all waiting for the day when it's safe to travel again, you can fill your heart with Ireland by going to ireland.com. Music